2: On a dark, cold, wintry night, I like nothing more than encasing myself in the hide of a bear that I hunted, using my uh, bear hands, and then starting a fire using all my enemies before drinking a hot cup of revenge. Uh, But obviously, that's a bit tricky for some of you to do, and I am all about universal ideas that work for everyone. So instead, uh, if you've got a cold bum and seek some comfort for yourself or loved ones with cold bums, then why not head to British-Boxers.com for their range of luxury casual wear, what is all made ethically and by properly paying people and doing all the stuff that I wouldn't even have to mention if the world was a better place and everywhere was run by nice types. But it's not, which is why I must seek revenge! Sorry, but... As it is, uh, British Boxers are a great company to support, not just because they're lovely people, but also because their jammies are well nice, as are their nightshirts, undergarmentals, and they've even got a section called Kids and Pets, which obviously sells clothes for Kids and Pets, not actual. So sell Kids and Pets like that. I mean weird, do worry. Luckily, by having ears of taste and listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off any purchases at British-Boxers.com by using the code PARPOLBRO15. So go do that right now. Or you could hunt a grizzly and destroy a cartel. But I mean, to be honest, it is a lot of work. It's quite tiring. Ethically, very dubious. Maybe just buy some nice PJs instead. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that would in solidarity demand its removal from Spotify, but I'm not sure anyone knows it's on there in the first place. In fact, even I'm not sure if it is. I'm do Duyeb and this week, as many people are super angry that Sue Gray's report has been published, but not in full, or really barely at all, won't someone think of the Prime Minister and what's left at the end of a day at a coat sale, Boris Johnson, who must be even more disappointed now he'll never know if he attended a party that night or not? Political analysts and historians often look to previous politicians, governments and regimes to see who the current motley crew are influenced by when they do their little write-ups. Oh, it's Churchill because, just like him, our Prime Minister is mostly off his face and totally unbothered about making decisions that leave a lot of people unnecessarily dead. Oh, it's Thatcher that he's just like because the Prime Minister also only gets four hours sleep a night, but that is because of all the parties. Or, oh, it's Genghis Khan because Boris Johnson also has absolutely no idea how many kids he has. But no, you see, what those wonks are missing is the open-mindedness to look elsewhere outside of politics, because this Prime Minister and government are clearly mainly influenced by the bad guys in horror films, because every time we assume they're dead and don't double-triple make sure of it, they just keep coming back and causing even more damage. Boris Johnson himself, of course, also takes influence from the near-microscopic animal, the tardigrade, not just in his appearance like a half-full hoover bag, but also, depressingly, in his ability to survive almost anything. Last week, the headlines were full of assurances that it was the end for Boris Johnson, as yet even more reports of parties at Number 10 emerged. It turned out the 467th reported illegal party at Downing Street was one for the Prime Minister's birthday in June 2020, where, while the country was banned from indoor gatherings, 30 people gathered to sing Happy Birthday to Johnson and have their cake as well as eat it. It had been arranged by the Prime Minister's wife and Fiona to his Shrek, Carrie Johnson, and the interior designer, who you might remember from the flat refurbishment scandal, was also one of the attendees. Yes, you see, and they said Avengers Infinity War was the most ambitious crossover in history, but there in Downing Street, they're mixing up all their scandals all at once. It's only time before a big final story arc event is unveiled, where it'll be revealed that Number 10 had yet another party, this time featuring all the donors, Owen Patterson, the Test and Trace app, everyone from Matt Hancock's address book, everyone involved in Vote Leave, Ian Botham, Richard Desmond, the Hungarian government and a mascot from Pepper Pig World and we'll just have to hope it ends with half of them being wiped out. There were, of course, many excuses as to why this birthday gathering was allowed, including Northern Ireland minister and man who looks like he stood too close to a plane engine just before it took off, Connor Burns, who insisted that the Prime Minister had no awareness this party was happening and that he was, in a sense, ambushed by cake. A scenario the rest of us plebs can only dream of. Oh, how I wish to be ambushed by cake. That would be an ideal day. Nothing says to the rest of the world that Britain is a force to be reckoned with, like them finding out they could easily take out our leader with a surprise sponge. Forget defeating him with a strong political base, you'd just need a buttery biscuit one. Connor Burns later retracted his statement, saying that actually he could not confirm or deny there was cake, which makes me wonder if the ambush happened so quickly no one could be certain of what they witnessed. Terrifying on many layers, some filled with cream. The Chancellor Rishi Sunak, who always radiates big, sick energy, said that he accidentally attended the do and was unintentionally present for cake. No, you see, I can't trust anyone who's unintentionally present for cake. He's even worse than those having the illegal party, as he's a gatecrasher to one and he wasn't even invited. I bet he filled his pockets with sausage rolls before leaving too. Typical Stinge. The Metropolitan Police, those arbiters of justice who are so against criminal activity that they like to take part in it themselves so that criminals are denied the chance, decided that actually they did need to investigate the parties they said they wouldn't investigate just a week or so ago. And in fact, they needed to investigate them all so much that Cabinet Secretary who looks like she's constantly being bothered by a sad wasp, Sue Gray, would only be able to make minimal reference to them in her report to those parties they're also now looking at, or it could prejudice their investigation. And the Metropolitan Police hate prejudice almost as much as they hate crime, which is again why they try to do most of it, to prevent others without the systematic experience of doing so from even attempting it. It will be interesting when the Met ask for witnesses to the events to get in contact, and they end up having to call themselves. Actually, I say that, but if you remember from that time she ordered police to attack all those mourning women with candles in order to protect people who suffer from karyophobia, I think. Boy from 70s school drama and Met Police Commissioner Cressida Dick only attends legal gatherings, so they should be able to come to a decision based on whether she was at Aunt Pal Johnson's house, or not. This, of course, has caused concerns that Sue Gray's report would be watered down from what it should be, which was already a report by someone the Conservatives' trust into the actions of the government that she works for. So I'm not sure if you can dilute water, though I suppose it might be possible if what you're pouring water onto is the shit and piss-filled rivers of English politics. Maybe the Met just understand the popularity of the true crime genre and thought, with their current reputation, it might be good to get in on that and so they'd let the British public put together all the clues for themselves. So Gray's report was only allowed to contain minimal reference to the 12 events the police are looking into, which we all hope just meant Grey would write about them in a size 2 font and we'd be able to see what went on if we really zoomed in. Instead though, the report, or as it stated, an update and not at all the full report, arrived at Number 10 Downing Street late on Monday morning, a dangerous place to send something so important when it could have been ambushed by cake or lost by police officers who had absolutely no idea where they were. And only 12 pages, the update, including annex and one left intentionally blank, much like the Prime Minister's memory, is not so much Sue Gray's report as merely 12 shades of grey, appropriate in that the entire country has once again been fucked. We were told time and time again to wait for the report and see, but when it's had so many spoilers it was always unlikely to be what anyone wanted. It did contain some key points, including that some behaviour that happened at Number 10 is difficult to justify, which I guess has never been a concern of the Conservative Party before. They've usually just blamed other people for being upset about it. Sue Gray says that some of the gatherings were a serious failure to observe the high standards expected at the heart of government, and that is a shock to me, as I assume they're entirely heartless. And she also made the point that the parties represent a failure of leadership and judgement of Number 10 and the Cabinet Office, which, I mean, I could have told you that and I didn't even need to be hired to do it. Boris Johnson says he's accepted Sue Gray's findings in full, which is handy as they weren't remotely in full and were barely even skimmed when it comes to findings. The Prime Minister said he wanted to say sorry for all the things they didn't get right, which is a bold statement when to do that properly he'd have to continuously talk in the Commons for at least 200 days straight. As it is, though, he got away with it and he didn't apologise for anything at all, let alone the parties, and instead blamed civil servants and made some bullshit statement about how they must look in the mirror and learn, which we all know is he won't do, as then he wouldn't be able to use it to do lines off of at the next party. And based on his hair, I'm not even sure he's got a mirror in the first place. It was sadly very clear that he doesn't intend to go anywhere unless he gets an invite and it says there'll be free booze. The leader of the opposition, and advert for Beconaise, Keir Starmer, accused Johnson of being a man without shame, which isn't really an insult when it's just true. And it was proven by Johnson's retort being about Starmer failing to prosecute sex offender Jimmy Savile, a man with whom the Prime Minister shares not only the hairdo, but also the ability to only ever use the word fix as a malapropism. Former Prime Minister and wooden effigy Theresa May, who also refused to resign several times and blamed everyone else for it, stood up in the Commons and asked Johnson if he knew the rules or ignored them. But Johnson said simply that the report doesn't say either of those things because it doesn't because it barely has enough content to be a coaster. And when Tory MP and someone put Matthew Perry through an ageing app, Andrew Mitchell, told Johnson he no longer had his full-throated support, I guess that means the Prime Minister will have to rely on his other paramours for that sort of attention now. So now we have to wait for the Met Police to finish their investigation, which there's no doubt will be inconclusive, unless I guess there were candles on the birthday cake and a woman there was sad, in which case Cressida Dick might take that as evidence of it being a vigil and therefore illegal. Scotland Yard have revealed that they've got more than 300 photos of the events that were handed to them by Sue Gray. So that should be enough for Dick to hopefully find some nice ones of herself to show friends when they ask what she's been up to. How are the public going to react to all this? Well, the Prime Minister's plan, though, whatever they do is to win them back with the Brexit Freedoms Bill, which will, as the government says, unleash the benefits of Brexit. I've absolutely no idea what those are, or even if they exist, and I wonder if this is the government's version of Wu Wei, the art of doing nothing. Have we had the Conservatives wrong all along? And actually, their response to the pandemic was simply following Taoist concepts of inaction, and by having parties while everyone else is in lockdown, just their attempts at creating universal balance. Is the Prime Minister only drunk all the time to denote a state of spirit? The answer uh, no. It is odd for the government to refer to them as Brexit benefits when we all know they hate people on benefits and if Brexit's also claiming them, doesn't that mean it's not working in the first place? The Brexit freedoms bill is going to cut the EU red tape, they say, which I didn't think we had anymore and all the red tape we seem to have left is from leaving the EU in the first place. I worry that this red tape that's left over is actually just holding the cracks of the country together and with any further snips we could actually tumble into the I say worry, I kind of hope The proposals on the Brexit freedoms bill include a section about setting high standards at home and globally which, considering this week, is absolutely hilarious I say this week, I mean all of the last 10 years The only people around the world who might now be using this country as an influence are pirates, people involved in the circus and anyone whose job it is to fall downstairs while holding a tuba. Then of course there's been the announcement of the levelling up fund, which will regenerate 20 towns and cities in England which have already been fucked by the Tories through austerity in the last decade and it will now not give them quite enough money to fix any of that properly. Nothing says levelling up like demolishing your tower block and giving everyone who is in it some sleeping bags ten years later and telling them it's an upgrade. The funds are less than those places got via the EU before Brexit and it's money that the government admits has been recycled as it was already allocated for other things but has been removed from those to be put into this. Is it still recycling if you're taking it away from somewhere and using it elsewhere? Doesn't it have to be used first? If I remove a plank of wood from someone's scaffolding that they're currently using and take it to use as a skate ramp for a hamster whose cage I've dismantled, am I recycling it or am I just being a massively unhelpful prick? Even Housing Secretary and congealed copper suit Michael Gove is reported to have said the levelling up white paper is shit and he's someone who likes the Wham rap. Meanwhile, Sunak and Johnson have doubled down on their policy of increases to national insurance from April as they say it must go ahead as it will help clear the NHS backlog. How? By making sure people starve or freeze to death before they get to rebooking their appointment? Sunak has been urged by think tanks to shift the burden of tax from work to wealth, but then I suppose he'd be worried that wealthy people who don't work would have to contribute to society more, and that's not fair to all his friends and family. Someone's got to cover the £4.3 billion lost in fraudulent pandemic relief scheme claims that Sunak can't be asked to chase up, and it can't be the people who made those claims, as then that'd be reusing stolen cash, and that only happens through the property market and party donations. So hey, it's just much less hassle if we cough up for them. It's hard to see where we go as a country from now on without constantly Googling to see if it's possible for an entire island to sink. But there is some hope as Boris Johnson is going to visit Ukraine next week with the aim of quelling rising tensions between them and Russia. Johnson's going to reiterate the need for Russia to step back, but I'm not sure they're going to give a shit unless he threatens that they can't keep buying properties in London. The UK is unlikely to send any troops to the Ukraine, not least because they're all too busy over here driving fuel lorries and helping deliver COVID tests. So it's really just Johnson's attempt to look big on the world stage and show off. But hey, I'm cool with that because nothing says hope for all of us here in Britain than sending our prime minister to a potential war zone when he can't even defend himself against a cake. In other news, Foreign Secretary and vintage cartoon mug Liz Truss was revealed to have flown by private jet to Australia, costing the British public £500,000. You might say that's a waste, but to those people who would have had to sit next to her on a commercial flight for 24 hours, that is an absolute bargain. And hey, if they'd refused to let her fly back, it would have been worth twice that. The Court of Appeal has upheld the High Court's decision that it would be unlawful for the Home Office to strip a person's British citizenship without notice. The Home Office is, of course, going to appeal the appeal as there's no good use of taxpayers' money quite like spending it until someone says you're right to be an evil piece of shit. Labour MP for Canterbury and woman who always looks like a background extra in a soap opera Rosie Duffield is considering leaving the party after what she calls obsessive harassment when an anonymous party member wrote an article saying that actually Rosie Duffield no longer lives in her constituency and rarely even visits and nor does she even turn up to Parliament very often. Wow, so it's going to have to be a tough choice for Rosie isn't it to decide whether to leave her job as an MP or to continue not really doing it anyway. Maybe she just realised the best thing for her constituents was that she kept as far away from them as possible and tried to make Parliament forget they even exist. Similarly, I'm considering giving up driving as all the other drivers on the road keep bullying me by beeping their horn and shouting things at me like, you're a reckless, dangerous prick and you're going to get someone killed. Oh, it's just bullying. A bill to make British sign language legally recognised has received government backing, which is great news. I suppose the worry is that even if it's legally recognised, that doesn't necessarily mean the government are going to pay any attention to it. Big shout out to all the BSL interpreters who translate broadcasts from Parliament and somehow resist just doing wanker signs all of the time. And lastly, Conservative MP and man who looks like a cheap stand-in in in a hammer horror film, Hugh Merriman, went to visit the lorry queue on the A20 and trod in human faeces. Still, what could better represent our current relationship to the EU, meaning we're now a turd country? And I suppose we can now definitely say that Merriman has first-hand knowledge of the shit lorry drivers are dealing with. He should really change his name to Pooh Merriman. Ah, oh, so pleased the not report from Sue Gray was released halfway through writing this week's show. Yes, I knew that would happen. No, I didn't plan for it and I had to scrap half of the show and then start again. Yes, I am an idiot and I should have learned by now, but isn't that one of the joys of this podcast? Isn't that why you tune in, that after six years of doing it, I've absolutely not learned a single thing and just keep ploughing on regardless of the increasing difficulty? And isn't that, in a way, why this show is so representative of British society as a whole? Exactly. Ah, fuck me, what a grim old week of draconian state-of-things news it's been, and also exactly what you'd expect. Sorry, I mean, hello you. Uh, oh, don't you bloody wish you could be ambushed by cake? I'd like it just once, even a cupcake. Some people have all of the luck. There's no cake in our flat right now, but in a weird moment of needing to sort things out um, this weekend, I did count how many bottles of different hot sauce we currently have, and uh, it's 25. Yep, not, I'm not ashamed. I'm a bit ashamed. That's kind of being in need of an intervention levels a problem, isn't it? No cake. We're currently at a margarine, but right now I have enough hot sauce to bathe in it, which, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Not even for charity is this just like a middle-aged thing where i'm increasingly craving the need to feel something anything and hot sauce is sort of fulfilling that or is it just that by setting the inside of my mouth on fire repeatedly every day i'm having the most excitement i can handle in my life as currently even the idea of driving mildly over the speed limit for two minutes or walking on the wrong side of the escalator is basically exhausting to think about i don't know but please do send some sort of help or maybe yogurt probably probably best to send loads of yogurt If I was ambushed by cake, I wouldn't need such things as hot sauce, would I? I'd have cake. But look, there are some good things in life, aren't there? Right, I'm trying to be optimistic. On Friday night, for example, our daughter slept solidly for nearly 13 hours. um, Though that was because we took her to an adventure park during the day and she ran around for five solid hours uh, during that. So now I'm just trying to see how much it costs to have a human-sized hamster wheel in our living room how do kids have endless energy is it because they're sort of like they've got big people energy but they're condensed so it just sort of lasts longer i don't know how it works that is the first time we've successfully got her completely tired in about six months. And it still didn't wear her brain out. Like, right until bedtime she was still asking 400 weird questions and saying things like, I wish I had teeth on my feet, which is grim. And also, no, you don't. She'd get through far too many socks. Um, Anyway, I've now had one really good night's sleep in the last three years and ten months, and I feel so recharged I could eat some hot sauce, which is lucky really, I suppose. Um, I hope you two have had some sleep, or if you hate sleep, I hope you haven't. But also, sort it out. Sleep is brilliant, isn't it? Sleep's one of the best things. It's such a cruel trick of life that kids don't want to sleep, but when you're an adult and have kids, that is the only thing you want but they won't let you have it. It's like one of those sitcoms where the most opposite people live with each other except it's life and it's mean. Um, but thank you for being here sleep deprived or sleep nourished and fulfilled and big thanks this week to Marius, Anne-Marie and Christine for the very kind Kofi donations and should you wish to support this here show in a monetary way then please chuck some dosh at kofi.com forward slash parpol bro or join the patreon.com forward slash parpol bro and I promise all money sent there is used only for good. My own good obviously but you know I won't use it to buy any petrol at Shell with it or anything like that Um, I mean that's partly because there's not a Shell garage near me but I won't Say that bit out now, shit. Um, oh well, look, I'm not going to buy any more hot sauce with it. I've clearly got enough of that. I'll use it. I'll use it for coffee. Anyway, if you can't or you don't want to support this show in a monetary way, then please consider giving it a podcast review at one of the podcast places where you can do that, and telling other folks that this is here for all their cathartic political needs slash hot sauce chat. Um, it's another interview straight through episode this week. Is that okay? How did you like that last week? Did you miss me explaining a current issue badly in the middle of my chats with people who know things, or is it a shorter, sleeker podcast? i.e. one that if it had a beard would just resemble me. <clears throat> is that better for you? Do you want shorter and sleeker or do you want longer and ramblier? Let me know in one of those communication methods that you have at your disposal. Um, some things are this week to note. One is that I'm on the Cross Borders podcast, which I recorded last week with host Chris Brown. No, not that one. Um, He usually does his podcasts on Canadian politics for a predominantly Canadian audience. But this week he asked me um to call in and explain British politics to him. So I ranted and swore for about 40 minutes and still managed to leave an absolute ton of stuff out if that sounds like your cup of double double there's one for the Canadians uh, then the link is in the pod blurb. um also this week regular pod helper cat day is the narrator on uh, the pseudo pod which I refuse I refuse to uh pronounce that correctly is that su- su- so sodo swaydo swodaf SWADO the su- the pseudo pod anyway um, she reads an Agatha Christie story on it and it's really good so the link to that is in the pod blurb too and um, my gag at the top of the show about Spotify um should I take this podcast off Spotify? And suddenly, like, this week, it was all people that I like uh, removing all their music because that would actually have an impact because people listen to their music. Um, do I take this podcast? I think this podcast's on it. I haven't checked in ages. Um, it's, so it wouldn't really... It wouldn't have any impact me taking it off. But, you know, they're bastards, aren't they? Unlike, of course, Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music. This show is also on. Uh, problematic. Where, where do you release podcasts that aren't problematic anymore? Do I have to sort of speaker to a cat and just let it run around the area shouting there anyway look i've got no idea um, how to actually take this show off any of those places and i'd probably end up cancelling it entirely if i did but what a protest eh i might just do it so i can pretend i'm friends with neil young if any of you do listen to this on spotify and it is your only avenue of listening to it let me know and if none of you do i'll pretend to do something actually active and good for the world um, on this week's show I chat to Steve Henderson at the Manchester Animation Festival about how the government is even ruining children's TV which it is but at the same time they're also providing a lot of inspiration for villains on children's TV which doesn't cancel ruining children's TV out but it you know it is quite handy.
1: Ready to pop the question?
2: I fully understand why some people are apathetic to politics because why would you watch some grown-ups shout lies at each other in an inadequate, outdated building when you could use that time to do something far more fulfilling like, say, poke yourself in the eye or try to recite made-up words in the hope you'll accidentally say an ancient incantation and open a hell mouth. But in the words of someone, probably it might even have been me, even if you try to avoid it and you think it doesn't directly affect you, politics will happen to you somehow. A bit like Piles or The One Show, but more so. Once you skip all the big things politics ruins or causes, like the planet, human rights, poverty, war, whatever the other horsemen of the apocalypse are, and trending Twitter hashtags, you'll see that politicians are quite capable of ruining everything else in your life too. For example, children's entertainment. Last week, the government announced they were cancelling the BFI Young Audiences Content Fund, which is going to have a direct impact on the future of children's media created in the UK. And that's odd, because I thought, according to Boris Johnson, Peppa Pig World inspired him to think about UK creativity but it seems he did think about it and realised he hated it. If taking his kids' places has that sort of effect on him, we really need to persuade the Prime Minister that the Trident nuclear programme is perfect for a family day out, as is Scotland Yard and indeed the Houses of Parliament, and hopefully they'll all get defunded too. If you have kids, you'll know that in today's day and age, children's media can be a large part of their education and a big part of you having 10 minutes to actually breathe and drink coffee like it might run out. If you don't have kids, then you'll probably have liked kids TV at some point in your life. And look, let's cut the crap, everyone. Paddington 2 is one of the best films ever, regardless of how old you are. Don't at me. Don't at me. Plus, if there wasn't so much excellent kids content around, what else would those meddling kids do, eh? They might be hanging around the fairground ruining the caretaker's evil plans, and no one needs their creative output ruined like that in today's economy. Anyway, a lot of people are employed in the children's media industry and these cuts along with the BBC licence fee freezes and general lack of support for the arts mean that it could spell the end for the industry. And spelling the end for the industry is something children would find really hard to do without shows like Alpha Blocks. Should we be surprised when we have a Prime Minister who, when hearing about providing support for kids just pretends they aren't his and hopes people will stop asking questions? This week I spoke to Steve Henderson, who's the director and CEO of the Brilliant Manchester Animation Festival, the UK's largest animation event, and he's also the editor of squiggly.com, the site for all the animation news that you might need, and in fact do. Steve is, as you can probably imagine, very passionate about children's media, especially animation, and he wrote a great piece about the culling of the BFI Young Audiences Content Fund, so I thought it'd be good to get him on this show to talk about an area that you might not think politics affects. I am, of course, a very biased interview in this case, like I normally am, because I started writing for a children's animation last year, and this very fund helped create shows that a lot of my pals do, like Makeaway Takeaway on CITV, hosted by the ever-excellent Beck Hill. And without that fund, that show wouldn't exist. But I hope this chat with Steve gives you an insight into yet another part of British life that the government is Sarah and Ducking up. Actually, I take that back. I can't ruin Sarah and Duck like that. It's just too good. Wah. Here is Steve. Hi, Steve. Um, it is brilliant to talk to you this week. And, and I feel that I need to just preempt this by letting the listeners know uh, that the children's media industry, children's animation industry, I am, I, I mean, I adore it. I'm, I'm a very biased interviewer in this situation, not only because uh, luckily I, I work in it a bit, but also I have a daughter who needs to be shoved in front of the telly on regular occasion <laughs> and for, for my own sanity and I think hers. Um, But I think j- just to start off the top, because I think this is one of those issues that, people don't necessarily realise it's connected to politics. I think, you know, they sort of see children's animation, children's TV and TV in general as as its own thing and maybe don't connect the dots with what it's got to do with our government. And and I wondered if you could just start right at the top and explain what the BFI Young Audiences Content Fund was and and why, you know, why its ending is is a concern and, and in fact what that has to do with politics at all.
0: Well, yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's it's uh, it's a pleasure to be talking about this this fund. Obviously, it's a, it's a great tragedy that it's no longer uh, going to be with us, and it is very much to do with politics. It's it's a fund that was um, a pilot scheme, a fifty seven million pound pilot fund set up by the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, or Digital Culture, Media and Sport, the DCMS, and it was uh, delivered in order to fund content for audiences under eighteen. So all that brilliant stuff we all love. Uh, to watch. So if anyone had an idea and interest from a UK public service broadcaster such as the BBC or Channel 4 or S4C or ITV, the Young Audiences Content Fund would fund 100% of the development of that or up to 50% of production and it did and it delivered 144 development projects, 55 brand new television programs, 212 hours of new UK content and this is stuff that otherwise would not have been financed or delivered and the news that this successful pilot isn't going to be moved ahead is a concern because there simply isn't anything to replace it there has been a huge reduction in UK produced shows for kids and whilst there are international co-productions this usually means that the British identity is taken away from them so if you pitch a show about a kid growing up in Barnsley uh, and you have a US uh, company funneling money into it, the chances are that they'll ask you to set it in America. And you might think, oh, that doesn't matter. But if you're a kid from Barnsley or Aberdeen or Cardiff and you hear your own accent on the TV, it means a lot more than, than we might think as adults. So, yeah, it's a huge concern because there's literally nothing left to fill the gap. You know, our children are left with imported television, uh, it's all financed by adverts, and worse still, they've got these unregulated youtube videos that they can watch and an algorithm that can take them literally anywhere not in a good way so without the fund it looks like the you know the uk's uh, hopes of producing the next wallace and gromit or bob the builder uh, could well have been snuffed out
2: and it was one of the things that quite surprised me when i was looking at the um, you know all the things that the young audiences content fund sponsored there was a lot in in for in welsh language uh, in gaelic and a lot of regional programs that i you know, I'm guessing now things like that just won't happen. That sort of funding is com- completely gone.
0: Yeah, it, it it kept that alive. It really did, and that stuff's that stuff's important. We might not sit down and watch shows uh, that are that are made in the the Gaelic language or or Welsh because we don't speak Welsh or I'm speaking. I don't speak Welsh. I don't speak Gaelic. Um, but it's an important marker as to to our culture, and that's what the you know the the BBC and other public service broadcasters provide is that kind of. Benchmark of, you know, of culture really.
2: And it's perhaps a silly question: what What did we do before this fund? Was it just that there was less content being made before this fund? Has it, have we seen a, a you know a massive boost in the British uh, sort of children's media and children's animation industry since the fund appeared, or or was there something else in place?
0: There wasn't ever anything in 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 place on this scale. Uh, however. The, the British children's television landscape has changed dramatically uh, over the last few decades there's been there's been bans on advertising there's been bans on uh, having things like junk food and things like that in your in kids TV show it's all, all all good stuff really that, that we need to make sure that, that the quality is up there uh, but in this day and age it's very difficult to get a TV show uh, funded or greenlit any tv show not just kids tv show i'm sure i'm sure everybody uh understands that uh there's a fantastic story from uh from brian cosgrove which i always go back to to show the difference between making a tv show now and making a tv show back in the day brian cosgrove some of you might know is the creator of danger mouse and duckula and wind in the willows cosgrove hall productions from manchester um, and he was at a christmas party in the 1980s and the uh, the director of Thames Television, the head of Thames Television, just came up to Brian Cosgrove and just went, what are you going to make for me next? And he went, oh, I was thinking about making Wind in the Willows. And then the the, uh, the, the head of um, Thames Television's uh, wife turned around and went, oh, I like uh, Wind in the Willows. And he, the, the director looked at Brian and looked at her and then thought, oh, well, don't make it for my wife then. Just, you know, <laughs> just... And it was it was done on a handshake. It was done on a promise. It was done on a we can trust you to make these shows. And now there's so many people invested in there. You have to make sure that it is completely scripted and it has gone through uh, so many kind of executives and directors and all types of things. And so these things are by the time they end up on screen, there's no room for mistakes. And so they have to be kind of put through this process, which takes a lot of investment and that's what the young audiences content fund was there for it was there to fund development and it was there to to streamline and to kind of make your your television idea uh, fit for telly really
2: and i suppose knowing that that funding's there meant that sort of studios could be not well take a chance on more things be more creative they don't have to produce something that they know is going to immediately fit the mold
0: absolutely yeah have already got yeah well that's that's right i mean um i can speak on behalf of the animation industry i'm an expert in animation as opposed to um to to live action but i'm sure live action suffers the same is that animation companies in the uk they they have a kind of a hand-to-mouth existence so they don't have money squirreled away to one side to to add to development so they can't say i've got a brilliant idea for a tv show i'm going to develop it because they don't have money to do that Uh, it's, you know, very thin margins for, for creating television, uh, content. And that's why the young audiences content fund kind of bridge that gap really for these companies with all these fantastic ideas.
2: And you know, one of these things again, I've got to point out that I very much care about this industry. But for people listening, we've got you know so many problems in the UK right now. They're probably thinking, why should we care about children's media? I'm sure they're not. I've got lovely listeners, but I'm just I'm <laughs> gonna pretend I'm gonna be the voice of the uh, of some arsehole who's tuned in for the first time. Um, but <laughs> you know, you know, this is uh, we've got a th- aside from just these TV shows being made. I'm guessing this is going to affect employment. It's going to affect people that are in- involved in this industry and jobs. There's got to be an economic uh, side to this as well, and and I wondered. Um, well, well, we'll speak about that more in a minute. But you know, there was this TV, uh, a lot of children's TV, educated kids during the pandemic when schools weren't around. So I'm guessing there's a whole other kind of societal impact that this will have as well.
0: Huge, yeah. Um, you know, the the UK uh, children's media in industry is huge and is a huge asset to the country, and it's a huge cultural asset to to the world and the UK has a proud history of producing amazing content for children we all remember our favorite shows uh our characters as kids and you only need to you can mention it to the grumpiest person you know and you'll say Thomas the Tank Engine and we we'll go oh I remember Thomas the Tank Engine and their face will light up it's 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 just the the effect that they have and it's without a doubt one of the best things that we've got going for us in the UK Uh, You know, Wallace and Gromit, Peppa Pig, Paddington Bear, Bob the Builder, uh, Danger Mouse, to to name the animated examples, all acting as ambassadors for the UK. You know, Wallace and Gromit and Shaun the Sheep are huge in Japan, particularly Shaun, as he has this Charlie Chaplin style, slapstick style, um, and no dialogue. And he's absolutely loved internationally. But in terms of money... um, I. I don't have a precise figure for how much the UK children's media industry is worth, but I know that Peppa Pig alone is estimated to be worth $1 billion internationally.
2: Wow.
0: Um, it, it broadcasts in over 180 different countries and has merchandise deals everywhere. Uh, I also gather it as a theme park, which is frequented by our current <laughs> prime minister uh, at, the, at the time of recording. Um, yeah. And, and obviously children watch uh, 13 hours of TV a week and spend something like 15 hours online, uh, usually playing games or watching videos. So we have to take special care as to watch our, what our young audiences watch. It's really important that, you know, what is created uh, is is of the utmost quality.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's been one of the, the, the big things, you know, um... There's been a lot of talk about the BBC licence fee freeze as well and then potential cancellation in 2028. We'll see what happens by then, um, hopefully not. But uh, one of the things I, I don't see mentioned often enough is that that would mean, obviously, CBeebies is affected, CBBC is affected, then obviously the BBC's kind of, uh, you know, the global side of it and all their children's content too. Um, are you quite concerned about what that's, what the, the BBC licence fee uh, freeze possibly cancellation is going to mean for children's media too?
0: yeah massively concerned i think it's 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 a it's a horrific decision really um but there's a really interesting bit hidden away in the settlement letter uh, to the director general and the chair of the bbc obviously culture secretary nadine doris said and this is me quoting her um i have decided not to top slice the license fee for the purpose of contestable funding over the course of the settlement period this will return close to 100 million pounds back to the general license-free income, and what she's saying there uh, is, uh, or what it looks like she's telling the BBC, is that she was going to fund the young audiences content fund, or as she calls it, the contestable fund, with BBC license fee money, but those barbaric cuts now long no longer make this possible. Um, but what is also interesting, that is the BBC did not fund the three-year pilot. It was DCMS money. It was government money. Um, and it's a pretty trifling amount of money, considering the the cultural and economic value that is returned. You mentioned there, jobs that are made of that. You know, when we talk about development for an animation series, we're talking about writers. We're talking about designers. We're talking about engineers. We're talking about computer scientists. We're talking about animators. We're talking about absolutely Everything. Uh, to make something work you know animation makes jobs um the the government could easily find the same amount of money again to keep this really successful fund running for years the amount of quick ppe contracts that this is the cynical side of me now obviously the amount of quick ppe contracts that were delivered or the billions that have been written off by the chancellor in for for fraud uh, make 57 million pounds seem like a trivially trivial amount and i've done the maths and it's equivalent to 114 flights for liz trust to go to australia uh, it's, it's it's not much it's you know i say it's a trifling amount for what is delivered you know and what it brings back in terms for jobs cultural contribution uh and in terms of what what the alternative is for our kids which which doesn't look very good
2: no not at all there's some fantastic maths and, and obviously cynicism is more than welcome uh on this podcast uh, <laughs> More than welcome. Um, I I wanted to ask as well. because, I mean, it's, it's it's all looking very worrying. And and one thing that I uh I read about one particular fund that was for animated work that is a Europe wide thing, and now British companies aren't or British production companies aren't allowed to enter because of Brexit. And I wondered if Brexit has had much of an effect on the animation, uh, especially the animation industry, but, but sort of children's TV industry as a whole. Has that been another blow to it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, unsurprisingly, yeah, uh, Brexit has had an adverse effect on the the industry. Uh, The creative industry as a whole benefited quite handsomely from our relationship with Europe. Uh, The Creative Europe Project Fund, uh, between 2014 and and 2020, uh, funded creative, cultural and audiovisual sectors in the UK. So that's film, TV, radio, the stuff we all do best. Uh, And they funded it to the tune of 111 million euros. And now we're not in Europe anymore. We can't benefit from a fund that we don't pay into. Uh, And the government has set up the Global Screen Fund, but that will provide only £7 million a year for all those sectors to uh, apply to. And just to put that into context, one episode of the last season of Game of Thrones cost around about £8 million to produce. So... Yeah, it's not not a lot. Uh, and what's more, uh, pitching at Cartoon Forum, uh, a place where people take those ideas along to find money from broadcasters and production studios, will no longer allow a UK uh, production house or studio to bring along their own ideas. They can only be a co-producer. Uh, what I mentioned earlier on about people going in with a different country. Uh, and it's a reminder really a stark reminder that to the animation industry particularly because it was that that event that Peppa Pig found its backers and like I said that's now worth a billion pounds a year so you know this is an important event that Brexit has made our ideas unwelcome at and the tragedy here is that we don't actually need to be in Europe to pay into the Creative Media Project Fund or Creative Europe because you have the likes of Montenegro, Norway, Iceland, Serbia all countries that are not in the EU but pay into the fund and benefit from it too uh so we could have kept that, but for some reason we've not so uh yeah, brexit strikes again
2: and is is there any just to try and find some hope uh somewhere is there you know ha- have our prospects on um obviously you mentioned the issues of of sort of making things for uh countries like the states or make things through production companies elsewhere and the, and the fact that there may include unwanted influences in terms of junk food, etc. Um But have, you know, are we likely to see an increase in interest from more international studios because of this? Is, is there, is there hope in, in that field? Or do you think it just means like with so many of our other projects, um, products, sorry, we're just going to be shipping in other people's shows rather than making our own.
0: I, I hope it's one and not the other. Uh, I really do. And, but, we can't run an industry on hope we can't run an industry on uh on uncertainty and what the young audience's content fund did is it delivered it delivered uh proof that we could do this thing and that that these once these things are are funded and and looked after and cherished and 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 helped that that you get a return for that uh we we desperately need the young audience's content fund or an equivalent uh you know the the amount of projects the amount of short films tv series uh, live action and animated that were produced that were put together uh by this uh, this amazing, amazing initiative uh was uh, was superb you know the for the fund not to continue uh when it was so vastly successful is perplexing to say the least Uh, and uh, although it would be great to say, Oh yeah, but we're the best in the world. And we made Wallace and Gromit and Peppa Pig and all that sort of stuff. And we made blue Peter. You can't run an industry on saying how brilliant we used to be. You've got to give us the chance to, to keep our place in the world and to, to continue to show how amazing the UK is. And that can only happen with investment. Uh, so yeah, hopefully, uh, this, uh, this insane, um, decision, can be looked at and uh, and and hopefully changed really hope it can be changed but not much uh, not much hope out for that unfortunately
2: Oh well, i tried i tried <laughs> <Every> <laughs> nice interview try. the same now it's a uh, it's all right i it's what I expect one day we'll find a, a, an optimistic interview um no i totally agree it's um it's such a depressing decision as our oh my god there's one every day at the moment um but yeah, it's particularly heartbreaking um now listen let's let's end on something nicer but you, you know you run the wonderful manchester animation festival i was uh, the lineup for last year was just astounding and i i i'm glad I didn't get to watch as much online as I wanted to at the time um hopefully this year um You also run uh, the brilliant sort of animation online site, Squiggly. Um, And, uh, you know, apart from yourself and those wonderful places, um, who would you recommend listeners check out about information and news on, I suppose, the effects of politics on on culture, entertainment and art, um, particularly in children's media? Who do you go to uh, for for your information?
0: Yeah, well, it's... uh thank you very much for the for the plugs uh if people want to know how to spell squiggly it's s-k-w-i-g-l-y it's the most ridiculous name for a website you've ever come across (laughs) um but yeah um thanks very much for the plug um yeah if people are interested in more I, I, a lot of people have done work on this at so the children 's Media Foundation so you can go on the children 's media foundation website um and they 're a, a body uh set up uh, in the 1950s i think to to kind of look after children 's media uh, and they run the children 's media contract uh, sorry they run the children 's media conference uh in sheffield every year there 's also a kid screen. Uh, and, uh, podcast fans can listen to the kids media club podcast, which, uh, kind of covers, uh, kids media, uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a few, there's a few things out there. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it it's, uh, it's, it's a rich and vibrant landscape, but for how much longer, who knows?
2: Thanks to Steve for that. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Henderson. and the Manchester Animation Festival will be on in November this year in Manchester, obviously. And for more details, check out ManchesterAnimationFestival.co.uk or MCRAnimation on Twitter. And Squiggly, as Steve points out, spell S-K-W-I-G-L-Y, is at squiggly.com or at squiggly and is a brilliant resource if you're at all interested in any side of animation. Listeners, consider me hungry for even more guests. I'm still on the hunt for anything optimistic about the future of politics, but also new ideas, more on ways to tackle the current shit, and generally any area like this week's chat where we don't realise politics affects us, but it does. Um, Also, global stuff, uh, other things that I haven't covered in a while. I know I've not had anyone to talk about disability rights uh, for a few years, so I'm trying to get someone on that. But look, what do you want to hear? Let me know and holler at your boy, or any other type of bread at your boy. I won't just eat hollow bread, I'll eat all types as long as you've written a suggestion of a guest on it in some sort of tasty spread. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Many gracious appreciations for your listenings to this here audible despairing and should you not have hated even a minute of it please take a moment of your mortality to recommend it to someone you know in the real life or metaverse so they too can indulge. If you actually enjoy it and, you know, aren't just saying that to impress the cool kids, then why not buy me a caffeinated beverage at ko-fi.com forward slash bro or join the patreon.com forward slash bro to revel in such rewards like the sweet sound of nothingness and the sheer joy of giving. You can also give it a review on whichever podcast site you use as apparently that helps promote the show. But after six years of doing this now, I'm not actually sure that's true. But hey, why not give it a go and just maybe maybe the next one's the one that will do it. Big ups to Acast, my brother, Last Skeptic, and Cat Day, who, of course, narrates this week's Swada Swadapard. So uh, do check that out. And this will be back next week when the Met Police put all the 300 photos they have into a commemorative album for Boris Johnson and then say they weren't really investigating. They just didn't want Sue to ruin the surprise prezi for their best pal. Bye! This week's show was sponsored by Ambush by Cake, a new fragrance from the 90s rock band to make you smell like you were never there.